Welcome to the My Life is the Medicine podcast, where we get off the never-ending search for more and take an inward gaze to find how our lives have already taught us profound truths. Rather than turning outward to experts or gurus, we talk with ordinary people and reflect inwardly about the life journey and everything felt, thought, and experienced along the way. Join us in casual conversation and reflective dialogue to discover how simply living a normal life, reflecting on our own life experiences, has already given us all the expertise we need. Hosted by Chuck Hancock, an ordinary human who has lived life in many roles, like psychotherapist, software engineer, school teacher, orphan, adoptee, father, brother, mentor, coach, ceremonialist, and more. Chuck is a weaver of wisdom from modern day psychology to ancient wisdom of indigenous and European roots, creating alchemy from everyday modern American life. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode. Happy summer to you if you're listening to this close to the release date. And if you're listening to it later, happy whatever day and season it is to you. I think this is really timeless material. Uh, It's certainly one of the questions and exploration areas that I've had throughout most of my life and something I'm still learning from, but I've been studying it for many, many years now and have enough to be able to share with you here some things to think about. And I'll still keep exploring because I don't think I'll ever stop learning about this topic. And, uh, The topic is relationship. One of my mentors in Lakota ceremony used to say, it's all about relationship. I think he had a different take on what that means than what I've come up with and what I've been learning about it. But I think we would definitely both agree that it really is all about relationship. um, Because what is a relationship and what's in a relationship and what do we experience in a relationship and What kinds of relationships do we have? And are they satisfying or not satisfying? Those are all really rich fields. And I think it's even more important to think about it as more and more relationships go virtual or short-term or transaction-based to not neglect the fact that they're still relationships and uh, be able to see them through that lens. What I'm going to do very little of in this episode is give you advice on how to do relationship or what your relationship or relationships should look like. That's actually one of the main lessons that I've learned. It's uh, relationship is an art that is really co-created by the people that are involved in the relationship to decide what the relationship is going to be and what works for them and, and, Also to be able to explore of what's possible and what's not possible in that relationship. Uh, Limits and boundaries around those relationships are also a key important part of the equation. That's why there's so many books on parenting or on intimate coupled relationships uh, because there's a million different ways to do relationships and all of the books are right for the author and probably for some of the people that read them at that moment of their life that they're reading them, uh, there's going to be some good and helpful information in there to get a new perspective on what could be possible in the relationship. 
But the real reality is, is it's then up to the people involved in that relationship to determine what the relationship is going to look like and, and what works for the two unique beings that are involved in that relationship. So what is a relationship? Uh, the way I see it, uh, the relationship is a thread of connection and it's a container. Throughout this episode, I'll be referring often to relationship between beings or entities. Um, sometimes I'll speak about people just because it's my default and easier to think about. But really, I like the term beings or entities more as we're talking about the relationship between them. And that's also because the relationship itself is a being or an entity that has its own wants and needs and desires and feelings as well. I once heard a definition of relationship that was as simple as mutual reward. And I didn't like that definition at first because it sounded so transactional. But if you can hold the transactional components of the mutual reward, the, the needs, the feelings, the desires, what's possible to give and receive, what's impossible to give and receive in that type of relationship, as well as expanding the view that the relationship is a connection point and it's a container for a process, then I think we're getting a little bit closer to what a relationship is. The Lakota have a saying, mitakuye uh, oyasin, or all our relations, or we are all related. And that's a really interesting statement that could be another several hour lecture that I'm not qualified to give. But I bring that in here just to name and hopefully expand your idea of who are we in relationship with? And we might have some ideas about that with a partner or a friend or coworkers or a boss or our parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, nephews, nieces, on and on. Like there's all of those traditional relationships. But if we really start to think about it, we really are in relationship with all of those people and our communities, whether it's our work communities or our neighbors, whether or not we know them or not and how well we know them and what type of relationships we have with those people. That's part of what I'm inviting us all to look at. Are the relationships just are what they are? Or are those relationships not really being harnessed or, or fostered or, or tended to as they could be? Are your relationships more short-term? You know, run into somebody every now and then at an event and or every few years, and that's really good and satisfying? Or are your relationships more long-term? Part of why I'm talking about this today is because it's my belief that what I've seen over the years, the more we've gone online and the more our work culture and economic culture has pervaded in our life, I think a lot of our relationships have become more transactional. What can I get from you or what can I give to you? And vice versa, what can you give to me or what can I get uh, from you is all part of how we look at relationship. And when we don't uh, see what the mutual reward might be, Sometimes we terminate those relationships. But I'm really 
exploring in my life what's really possible when we actually have long-term relationships over time so that we can really see who we are and what about us or what about the person that we're in relationship with is truly them and doesn't change very much or how much of it is transitional, um, something that's changing as a season or a moment in their life. And when we have just short-term relationships, we don't ever get to see the big picture of the human being. We only see the, the snapshot, the moment in time, the, the Instagram snap version of who they are. Whereas in the long term, we really get to see a much fuller picture of who the person is. Sometimes we might want our relationships to be more short term so that we feel like we're more free to reinvent ourselves and try to do things over again and not make the same mistakes with a new person in a new relationship. But the reality is uh, we probably will make the same mistakes over and over and over again until we've had somebody be a mirror for us enough times. And I believe that's often easier to do in long-term relationship. But it's definitely possible with a multiple of short-term relationships as well. Because relationship really is a process. It's a, it's a process of seeing ourselves and seeing another. It's a give and receive type experience that's not just intellectual or transactional in terms of an activity or a word or something uh, that we're doing together, like exchanging money for a service or something like that. But a relationship is really felt. Uh, it's a somatic experience. It's, it's energetic. Uh, it has feelings. It has thoughts. It has experiences in our body. It has triggers to our past and past experiences with other people that are similar or different from this. It's really a dynamic creative field that something new can emerge from the interaction of two different beings. I apologize that you have to listen to me ramble on on my own today about this, but it's really why I mostly interview people on this podcast because there's not a set script. It really is an intention to create something new in the relational field between me and whoever it is I'm talking to on the podcast that week. That's not to say that listening to me solo isn't a form of relationship, but let's just be conscious of what kind of a relationship it is when you're just listening to somebody on a podcast. It's a one-sided relationship. It's not actually a relationship where you can be seen by the other person. And being seen and mirrored and appreciated is actually a really important part of the relational process. In our post-pandemic times, when so much of the world has gone to virtual meetings, including some therapy and coaching, I've really been able to use this lens of relationship to see what is the difference between in-person relationships and online virtual relationships. And I really do believe that there's a good enoughness to the online video type interactions with people but it also is a little different in that the feel, the felt sense experience of being with somebody fully embodied is a little bit different. And so there are certain types of work that can happen online uh, 
and there are certain types of work that really need to happen in person. Whatever it is, I think it's so important to be continuing to look into the somatic experience as well as feelings, thoughts, desires, and fantasies that are happening between two people. Because when you look at all these different levels of relationship, not just what's being said and communicated explicitly, but those things that are not being said, but maybe are being felt or experienced, it helps you gain conscious of the unconscious field that's happening in a relationship as well. Because every relationship has an on-the-surface, above-board, conscious interaction that people are saying, and there's the below-the-surface, unconscious interaction that's happening between two people too. And one person's conscious is speaking to the other person's unconscious, and vice versa, as well as the unconscious is speaking between both people as well. So relationships are amazingly complex, and that's why I've been studying them so much in my life. I still don't fully understand, nor can we by definition, all of the different layers of things that are happening in a relationship when you start including the unconscious level in what you're looking at in relationship. But I think it's absolutely important that we mention that and include it. So it really is all about relationship. Relationship is that fertile field of the space between. And we often think of relationship as being something that's outside of us or the space between as being something that is between two people or beings, which it is absolutely. But the space between us and us and the different parts of us, because we all are so multifaceted, is those relationships are also just as important. There's this saying, all research is me-search, or some people have heard that therapists and coaches often get into the field of fixing and helping other people uh, because they're really trying to work out something within themselves. And I'm going to be honest with you, I, I really do believe that's true. I know I can claim it and own it for myself at least. Definitely a lot of years I didn't want to own and, and claim that. But I've found that it's actually so important to be aware of what it is that we're seeing and having this long-term relationship with ourselves or with other people that can mirror that so that we can actually be more clear about, oh, is this something that I'm seeing that's actually in me that I'm projecting on someone else? Or is this something that's truly in the other person or in the space between us that got constellated just because it's a unique combination of this person and the other person. We don't know that if we don't have a really solid relationship with ourselves first. That relationship to self forms the foundation of relationship to other. If we don't know ourselves and our own preferences and our own in influences, such as geographic or environmental or school, cultural, religious, socioeconomic, we might be reacting out of our own biases or wants or needs or preferences and calling that a, just how the other person is or how the relationship is. Or sometimes we might know what some of those things are because we've done some of our work around that, but then we're in a place of rebellion to that rather than a true authentic expression of this is what's true because the authentic you might be 
very similar to your upbringing. It might not be. We have to know um, through this ongoing long-term relationship over time. There's a term in psychology called social location, which can be a really useful idea to start to help identify what some of the influences and forces and biases are that have shaped us. So for example, I am currently a 46-year-old married father of two children, adoptee whose DNA results show a family history of Western European origin and Eastern United States ancestry for the last few hundred years. Uh, so uh, presumably my ancestors moved over from Europe to the United States for some reason that I don't fully understand, uh, partly because I don't have any direct connection with my uh, ancestral line and, and hearing some of the narratives and the stories. But I do know that the types of foods and the types of activities and the types of belief systems that might be related to philosophy or religion of Western Europe definitely have been something that uh, have been a part of my exploration and history growing up in the United States, which is also very influenced by European settlers. As you also know, my uh, history has been involved with indigenous peoples of West African and uh, Native American backgrounds. Uh, and at first, when I really got into that, I used to think that it was just, I was looking for wisdom and I was looking for alternative ways of living because I knew that the way that we were living in the mainstream suburban type uh, environment that a lot of us experience didn't really align with me. So I was looking for new ideas. As I've continued to explore myself and, and what's really driving some of those beliefs, I also get curious about how much my ancestors might have been involved in harm that was done to Native American or African people in the past. It could be seen as just a simple coincidence, but when you add in the fact that I actually studied uh, in an honors class in college, the cultural history of Northeast Florida, where I went and interviewed descendants of slaves and plantation owners. And at the time, I had no idea why I was doing that. Uh, it just seemed like an interesting class. And it wasn't something I wanted to make a career out of. Actually, I only did it for that one year. I totally forgot about that until I really started looking deeper at myself and, and some of the influences in my own personal work here and have realized that there's so many interesting coincidences there that I think that there, there could be something to that. There certainly was a lot of rejection and denial and dismissiveness about it for a long time, but after asking this question, how did I get here really over and over and over again about myself and the choices I've made in life and the relationships I have and the ones I don't have and having this long-term relationship with myself and the curiosity about myself over time has led to more and more details. Further, you may have heard in previous episodes, the man and woman who adopted me were a very conservative, fundamentalist Christian, and my father didn't know his father. He was raised by his mother and stepfather. I'm the oldest of three boys. My younger two brothers are five years apart, and they were biological to my adoptive parents after being told that they couldn't have kids. So in my family of origin, I 
definitely didn't belong as a, an adoptee, and I didn't belong because I was the only one non-biological, but I was also somewhat intelligent and learned how to survive and thrive in the academic world and school world and cultural world because my family was so um, not in alignment with me. I tried to fit in with lots of other people, which caused problems in and of itself in adolescence, of course. But really, that experience of has taught me about being the outsider and about not feeling like you fit in. And it also created this dynamic of being the only one that was really successful and went to college, of being this miracle golden child that uh, carried a lot of the burden for the family to be successful and to be attuned to my parents' needs and to really make them proud. And that was a burden that helped me have a relative amount of success in my life, but it also was a burden that might not have been mine to carry that success isn't necessarily me. It's something I got to experience and accomplish because of my history, but it's not necessarily what makes me, me. I'm primarily cisgendered, but often questioning and exploring the edges of my sexuality, gender, and the ethnic and cultural influences that I've had growing up, both in the family of origin and the culture of the South in which I was raised, as well as the cultures that I chose to seek out and explore of. I think a lot of this exploration was because of my origins and my not fitting in and not belonging. And the fundamentalist uh, parents and religion that brought shame over and over and over again about who I was and what I wanted and what I desired I was constantly being told that that wasn't right. So I had to go seek out other things, which created this identity of the seeker, which in some ways is me and in some ways is not me, especially the older I get, the more I'm realizing how it's actually okay to settle, especially as we're heading into the summer months here to just relax and take some downtime and play and enjoy is going to be an important part of it. And yet, going to go on a family vacation and take the kids back to where uh, my partner and I grew up. And so there's both relaxation and an exploration of our roots that's going to happen as well, a combination of both. So how much of my identity and what I've pursued and what I've learned have been truly me, how much of it was being in rebellion to the fundamentalist, dogmatic, rigid home life that totally didn't seem to fit, or trying to right the wrongs from the past of being told that I was wrong in that environment, or the wrongs of the past that might have happened in my ancestry. I don't know. Maybe it's all directly related. Maybe it's not, but it certainly seems like there's some sort of threads that are intertwined in there that I would probably be pretty oblivious to had I have not been trying to cultivate this really intimate, long-term relationship with myself over the past 15, 20 years or so. When we don't know how our environment shaped us, we might mistakenly believe that it is really us when it's really just acting out of conditioning from our own environment. When I've explored all of that and realized how did I get involved with Lakota ceremony, 
I thought I was doing something really unconventional and, and out of the norm, which it is for a lot of mainstream people. But now that I've been in it and involved with it for, what, 13, 14 years or whatever it is, I've really been able to see actually how closely tied to the fundamentalist Christian upbringing is that I had that I just thought it was something totally different, but there's actually more similar things than different things when you actually look at the energetics and the patterns of the relationships that you have with yourself and the belief system and with the people that are also practicing a similar thing. But if you would have asked me, say, 10 years ago, I would have thought I was doing something totally wild and new and cutting edge and alternative that very few people ever experienced. And it's only through this self-reflection over time I've come to realize that it, not only was it just a rebellion from my childhood environment, but it also was more similar to my childhood environment than I ever would have seen at the beginning. Again, this is not something I ever would have seen if it was a short-term relationship. Say, even if I would have done it for, say, four or five years, that seems relatively long in today's uh, fast-moving world, but it was actually really short compared to how long it's been so far. If we don't take the time to develop the intimate long-term relationship with self and others, it's very easy to get distracted and confused by other people's beliefs and opinions and views of the world in us. Even psychology and spirituality helps describe common human experiences that can be helpful in some ways, but can also be confusing. Even when it's 100% accurate, it can be an intellectual connection rather than an internal felt sense truth of our experience which can lead to bypassing of what needs to happen to shift into a different experience, causing us to stay stuck in those old patterns, even when we think we understand what's going on. The intellectual understanding is not a fully embodied relationship to yourself in those patterns. Every therapist out there, and, and probably most lay people too, with the information age, has probably had the experience of reading about some sort of psychological disorder or even a medical disorder and say, oh, that's totally me. That's totally what's going on here. I am totally bipolar. I am totally depressed. I am totally avoidant attachment or whatever these labels are that people are all exploring online these days. We hear the description of things and because there's some level of truth to it, we attach to it and say, that's totally me. And that can be really destructive without the continued curiosity and exploration of, well, when is it not you? And maybe that's actually not you, but that could be you at some small moments in time. And if you latch onto that, then a false identity gets created around some words that you've read in a book or online somewhere. That is not relationship with yourself. That's actually a, a harmful misidentification. A full relationship with yourself includes thinking, feeling, having an embodied somatic experience, looking at our actions, looking at our inactions, and having some sort of connection and relationship to the transpersonal or, or what's beyond ourself or relationships with other people. It's only when we include all of those domains over a period of time that we're actually going to really develop ourselves into a healthy relationship. And to highlight it and say it again, 
the relationship with self only exists in context of relationship with others as well. It really is a both and that we have to have the deep intimate relationship with ourselves at first and foremost and primarily, but then also being willing to engage in relationship with other. Engaging in relationship with other is a very dangerous proposition. If you let yourself be intimate and vulnerable, you will be changed by someone else. And so doing that in a way that we can be clear about what's ourselves and what's others helps us be more conscious of how we're willing to be changed by the other person. Maybe it's going to be really helpful to be changed by the other person. Maybe it'll be really unhelpful to be changed by the other person. And that's part of what's happening in toxic relationships and toxic use of social media is that we're actually getting changed by the other when we don't actually have a really strong sense of self. Now I'm going to zoom out again and, and get a little bit more nuanced because I'm speaking in broad terms. But as I said earlier, we are all infinitely complex and often what's happening is not our full selves that's getting changed and influenced but a part of us and that part of us might come more to the forefront and be more dominant more seen more visible more interacting with the world than other parts of us and we like that when those parts of us are in alignment with what we how we think we want to be but we don't like that when we don't like those parts of us Another real problematic approach to relationship with ourselves is when we try to eradicate parts of ourselves. Whenever we try to get rid of us, any parts of us, our past, our thoughts, our feelings, anything that we don't like about ourselves, it just goes underground and turns into shadow and gets projected on others. Even more concrete than that, though, if someone was trying to hurt you, and let's say even someone was trying to kill you, how would you respond? What would you feel? If you're in touch with your feelings, an appropriate feeling to that would be either fear or anger and resistance. And that's what happens when we try to eradicate or kick out or tell some part of us or some thoughts or some feelings in us that it's not welcome in us, parts of us will then respond with fear or anger or more resistance. It's really not about getting past something. It's about changing our relationship with something. Not that healing doesn't happen and people don't change. Of course people change, or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. But when we are in a battle or a fight with those parts of us, it's a different kind of change than changing the relationship to those parts of us. If we allow the season to pass, some things just go dormant, go underground, or die on their own. And then if and when it does reemerge in the following spring, we can identify it and be careful with it. Or we can tend to other things that we really want to have more in our life. But again, it's stopping this battle and stopping the deception that something has gone away and we'll never see it again. That's a surefire way to spot a shadow in ourselves or someone else is this statement of, oh, I've totally healed that and that doesn't, that's not me anymore. 
I trust people that know their shadows and can relate to their shadows and never declare, declare that they're healed um, and moved on from something, only that they know enough of themselves not to act out of shadow wounds all the time and can recognize and hear feedback when they do get caught in an old shadowy type of behavior. Another version of this that happens in relational fields is when we want someone else to be a certain way. Usually this is actually you seeing a disowned shadow of yourself, something that you don't like about yourself and you want to impose some rules or restrictions on somebody else so that you don't have to experience that thing anymore. You eradicated it from yourself, you're trying to eradicate it in other people. One of the places that I believe this is happening in our modern day is all of the talk about kindness and it's okay to be yourself, just be kind. Well, yes, of course. I don't, I'm not proposing that people are mean or uh, intentionally hostile towards other people. I certainly prefer kindness over other ways of being, but when it's the only way to be and there's no space for say distance or withdraw or any sort of anger or frustration, then it's really limiting the ability to actually have fully whole human being interactions with multiple people. Yes, of course, we have to be aware of intent and impact and be able to process when there's a mismatch between those things. But we also can't totally enforce a way to, to be together all the time. You know, if it's do it my way and there's no space for you, that seems like a, a shadowy colonizer power dynamic type mindset. In fact, this situation arose in one of the communities I'm in recently where we were trying to integrate somebody that was very different than the culture of the community and people kept trying to create all kinds of rules and norms about how we were going to talk to each other. It had to be a certain way and in a certain tone of voice. And if it wasn't, then we needed to process it. And so then we got caught processing many times when we had other things that we needed to do. My experience, especially when I've been to other cultures uh, with like West African culture or Native American Lakota culture, I, I don't ever go into these cultures wanting people to interact with me in a way that feels kind or safe to me, I believe it's my job to be in relationship with others in a way that feels mutually okay with the two of us. Um, and more so, especially if I'm interacting with somebody very different than me, I want to give them space to really be them, even if that's being big or loud or quiet and not speaking at all, so I don't really know what they're thinking, or um, angry or whatever it is. Um, as long as it's not intentionally harmful to me, I think there's got to be space for the other to be them. And then we can actually have a mutually uplifting two-person relationship, not preemptively trying to control the relationship because then there's actually not space for both people to experience themselves or us to authentically experience the other person. Another place where I've seen this come up in years past is in 
spiritual or, or psychedelic circles where people talk a lot about energy. And I don't know if energy is real or not. I Sometimes I think I experience it and sometimes I don't. But I'm not going to make a statement one way or the other about that. But what I will say is that I've often seen energy or the talk of energy as being a conduit for shadow projection. When people start talking about someone else's energy, then how do we know if that's truly something that's energetic and in the field and in that person, or if it's not a shadow projection of something that the person that's saying it is just unwilling to own in themselves. For me, I just never assume to know. I just get curious and ask. I don't assume that it's true or false and it might be true or false and it might be conscious or unconscious going back to what I was talking about earlier. And that truth of this moment might actually change later. How can we actually just use the present moment experience as an opportunity to look at, well, what is it for me that I'm seeing this? And how am I going to respond and relate to what I'm seeing? Whether I'm calling it energy, whether it's actually a, a, a factual behavior or words that are being said in front of me. Again, I think that we look at how am I going to relate to this experience as a very fundamental approach rather than trying to say something is true or say something is not okay or to say it's the energy or something else. It all comes back to relationship again. Well, what is the relationship with the present moment? What is the relationship with myself? What is my relationship with this other person? And what am I willing to give and receive with this other person? And what is my relationship with the feelings or the thoughts or the behaviors or the energies, if you want to use that word, that are happening right now. And when we look at, say, what our relationship is to, say, anger, or what our relationship is to fear, how do we deal with those things? Do we run away from them? Do we get closer to them? Do we put walls up? Is that an appropriate action? Is it an inappropriate action? Like, what is habitual? What's actually needed for the moment? Now you're working more in the realm of relationship rather than reactive past patterns or reactive to projections of the other person. One way to get a read on the level of autonomy or sovereignty that we're having in a given situation or conversely to see if we're reacting out of old patterns or projections is the level of emotion or certainty around the choice or whether we even feel that we have a choice or not. If we feel that we truly don't have a choice, we are probably hijacked by some part of us. When it's really emotionally charged one way or the other, or you feel that it has to be a certain way, it's the right way or the only right way, it might be a good sign that it's coming out of a response of past experience and conditioning. A true preference is just that, a preference. It can either go one way or the other, and you might prefer it to be one way or the other, but it's also okay if it's not. When things are really rigid and have to be a certain way or have a lot of emotional charge to it, we've really lost our own autonomy and freedom of choice. However, our parts of us, often our rational, logical minds, double down and say, no, this is how it's supposed to be, and it's exactly what I want, because I am free and autonomous, 
and maybe we can even justify it with a list of 10 reasons why it has to be that way. It's a weird, paradoxical twist of the mind. It's really the illusion of freedom because we think that we're asserting our own free will and autonomy, saying this is the way it's going to be and I'm in charge. But it's really not because it's really limited in scope if we can't see two or three or four or five options and the different pros and cons and being able to choose between any of those options. That's true freedom of choice, not being reactionary. I have to admit that it's really only been in my 40s that I've really begun to untangle some of these things in myself. Obviously, in my 20s and 30s, I would have told you that I was crafting and creating my own life with 100% certainty, and I would have argued with you if you would have told me that uh, what I'm telling you today is actually true, and actually I was being driven out of my own patterns. I would double down on how the choice of career, relationship styles, the people I associate with, my views on religion and spirituality, my, my views on politics and psychology were totally my own choosing. Some of the things I was choosing were in alignment with my upbringing, and some of them were in direct rebellion to my upbringing, but I was convinced that I was definitely the one making that choice. It's really only through the years of undergoing my own work and my own therapy and continued process that I'm realizing that the underlying forces, the archetypal patterns, the currents, if you will, were actually the same. They were just trading the clothes that they were wearing or the external appearance, but underneath it was really the same forces. If your parents were anything like mine, maybe they had a lot of preferences and rules for how I was supposed to be. Mine were pretty extreme coming from the religious background that I did, but in all the clients I've had over the years, I found no shortage of extreme beliefs about how children are supposed to be even from people that would not think twice about aligning with any religion or spirituality. Maybe the rules were you had to be involved with STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics type professions, or maybe you had to be some other sort of scientist or a government worker, or you had to be in the social services or helping professions because that was truly just and moral. Maybe it was that you had to have grades a certain way or that you had to be in sports or some sort of after-school activity. Maybe none of those things applied to you at all and you were totally free to make all of your own choices from a child and never having any input or guidance from a parent. Um, and you were also free to choose from one thing to to the next, never learning how to stick to something with tenacity or perseverance through boredom or through challenges. One way or another, our parents' beliefs influenced us. You know, the opposite end of the parenting spectrum that I had would be absolute permissiveness. You know, sometimes this comes from absenteeism, parents working all the time, there's no adult figure in the house, maybe the adults are just as uh, childlike as the kids, um, maybe being psychologically absent due to addictions or substances or workaholism or screen overuse. There's a lot of reasons why parents aren't present in creating healthy boundaries and guidance in a child's life. And that other extreme is, is just as problematic as the overbearing rules that 
I and some other people had. Neither overbearing, overly directive, rule-based parenting or totally absent anything goes parenting are helpful in healthy and relational. They both actually show the opposite ends of a relational paradigm. One is do as I say, and the other is I'm not even going to say, I'm not even there. Neither one of them engages in healthy relationship, which is here's what I think, what do you think, let's work this out together. Or back to what I was saying earlier in, in this podcast, even better than here's what I think, here's what you think, here's what I think, here's what I feel, here's what I'm experiencing in the body, here's what I've experienced in my life, and what do you think, what do you feel, what are you experiencing in your body, what are your hopes and dreams and visions, including all of those domains to figure out something together. Carl Rogers, a famous humanistic psychologist in the 60s, was known for talking about unconditional positive regard. I think that's a really beautiful sentiment and something I aim for a lot, but it's actually a really difficult thing to do, especially when your own children or people that you're really close to and care a lot about are in the mix. Because there's always going to be those limits of, I'm going to totally give you all this unconditional positive regard, but if you did this thing, you know, maybe that is, you know, join a certain religion or get arrested and go to jail or get a DUI or, or something like that. There's everybody's always going to have their limits of unconditional positive regard for people that they're really close with. Um, maybe not. Maybe there are some people out there that are really amazing saint-like people that have developed that ability to, to be that unconditionally accepting. But I know for me as a parent, I, I certainly have my limits of, of where it would be more difficult for me with my own kids and, I think that's probably true for most people. It's actually a really difficult thing to do, to have that unconditional positive regard. And it also gets confused with thinking that everything that the person is doing is okay and acceptable. That's absolutely not true. We absolutely do not get to take abuse physically or verbally, emotionally from somebody because we also have to unconditionally positive regard ourselves. Just like I was saying, relationship goes both ways. Ourself is a part of the equation. The relationship with ourself, the unconditional positive regard for ourself, the relationship with other, and the unconditional positive regard to other. Unconditional positive regard might include setting limits and boundaries, but the feeling towards the person is never shaming and demeaning. It's always valuing and respecting them and their choices while you're also valuing and respecting yourself and your own choices. Again, there's still a relationship. Limits and boundaries are necessary for there to be a relationship. For there to be a relationship, there has to be two or more separate autonomous beings that are engaging in a process. If one gets dominance over the other, it's not much of a relationship. Likewise, too distant is not much of a relationship. Also, the patterns of codependence is not much of a relationship. If we get too enmeshed and too fused, it's not two autonomous beings. There has to be some separation and sovereignty of the people that are engaging in some sort of a dance or a process. 
a relationship happens with two subjective beings that can express their own wants, needs, feelings, desires, thoughts, questions, curiosities, fantasies, and dreams. That's how a relationship happens. If it's both exactly the same, it's one being. It's harder to have a relationship between one being. Even what I was saying earlier, the um, relationship between self is not just okay, a unilateral self, it's the relationship between me and all the different parts of me, or in all the relationship between all the different parts of myself engaging with each other. Most people might be familiar with the concepts of the inner child or the inner critic or the carefree, playful one or the, the manager parts from IFS language. The reality is those are... Those are broad parts with a lot of different uh, broad categories, but in a healthy whole human, we actually have many different parts of us that are all in relationship with each other and who can come out and engage with the world at the right time and in the right place. Sometimes that might be more playfulness and spontaneity. Sometimes that might be more calmness, might be more responsibility, might more be more put your head down and get some hard work done. It, there's no. There might be more... Um, seductive or, or sexual the right part at the right time in the right relationship with the right person breeds a lot more wholeness and completeness with ourselves and with the people in our lives and just like we were saying earlier sometimes you have to set boundaries with other people sometimes we have to set boundaries with parts of us as well like limits on screen time or limits on how many drinks or Limits on how much time is spent exercising if, if we want to over-exercise. Or how much time is spent watching TV and sitting on the couch and then choosing to go exercise. We have to healthy parent ourselves and the parts of us as well. And again, it comes back to healthy relationship with ourselves. Not just letting any one part drive the show all the time and not exiling any part of us because sometimes we might need to not go to the gym and eat some ice cream. It's all the right part at the right time in the right relationship. Just a few more examples of common experiences that are non-relational. Sometimes we might find ourselves in a place of, I don't really care about the impact on myself or others. If we're not considering the impact on ourself or others, it's not a relational process. You know, engaging in risky behavior where harm might come to ourself. That's really ignoring, dissociating, or splitting off from certain parts of us that might be harmed. Or likewise, believing that we have no impact on other people with the choices that we make about what we do or what we say or showing up or not showing up to something that's also not a relational process. It's ignoring the impact of others. In a healthy relationship, we are clear to be able to communicate a strong yes or a strong no, both to the inner parts of ourselves and to the other people that we're in relationship with. And when we engage in relationship with others, we must be willing to hear and respect someone else's yes and no to what we're offering them. True relationship comes from unconditional positive regard has some sort of balance where the limits are held and set. Children don't always get their way, 
but children are also listened to and understood and sometimes they get what they want. That's a healthy, balanced relationship. People are heard, understood, and sometimes one person gets their way, sometimes another person gets their way. When we start to have really strong emotions, especially fear or anxiety, a very common response is control. So sometimes we try to limit the experience of fear by structuring ourselves and our lives and other people around us in ways that minimize fear. This high level of control, again, is not relational. It's trying to impose some sort of guidelines to minimize the, the chaos or the risk. The more that we can understand our own feelings and needs and not have to force those limits or boundaries on ourselves or other people, the more we can actually engage in a relational process with ourselves and the world around us. And sometimes this results in some natural consequences. Sometimes the fear is necessary and is telling us that something is dangerous and we might have to experience the pain of some of that danger. But ultimately coming back to trust nature and trust life as the ultimate teacher so that we can truly learn these lessons and how to be in healthy relationship with life and, and the world around us is much better in the long run, I believe, than trying to force a lot of control or limits on ourselves or other people. We can really work to ask ourselves, what am I feeling right now? Is this thing that I'm feeling coming from something that's happening in the present moment? or something from a past experience? And what do I need to do now to help give myself what I need to keep myself safe in this present moment or give myself some comfort from the pain of whatever happened in the past experience? There's a relational way to deal with the fear and the anxiety. And even better, maybe I need to make myself vulnerable and make a request of someone else that might be able to support me physically or emotionally or help me to stay safe right now. And then I can involve other people in my life to help with the process as well, forming stronger bonds and stronger relationships to help with the anxieties and fears of either now or the past. So as you can see, this is both simple and complex all at the same time. Compassionate patience really takes time. Relationship takes time. To be confronted with these patterns over and over and over again, to really understand them and understand the sources of them and then be able to love and accept them rather than fight them or try to disown them takes a lot of time and I think it takes necessity at times too. When we have the ability to just leave, either physically leave another person or distract ourselves with other things to put our attention on, we don't necessarily get confronted with the ability to come back over and over and over again to work with these patterns. Not to mention there's so much confusion around self-focus and other focus in our world we tend to label people that are too self-focused narcissists, and we label people that are too other-focused um, saints or, or, or martyrs uh, on a good day. But the reality is sometimes they can also be codependent, which actually is, is kind of a form of narcissism that's very covert. I'm going to work really hard to make you okay so that I can be okay without actually working on myself. 
too much other focus and not knowing your own needs and feelings is also a form of narcissism. We have to learn how to have balance between the relationship of ourselves and the relationship of others. Do we value ourselves? Are we critical of ourselves? Are we ambivalent or dismissive towards ourselves? Are we tired of ourselves? Are we tired of our thoughts and having them all the time or tired of feeling needy? Or do we love and accept ourselves and all of our thoughts and our feelings and our neediness? And bonus question, I wonder if there's any relationship between how you view yourself and your own thoughts and feelings and needs and how your parents treated you or how other loved ones in your life have treated you over a period of time. Sometimes we tend to re repeat those patterns. This podcast is already getting longer than it probably should be, so I'm going to try to wrap it up soon. But a couple other pieces I wanted to leave you with today are that relationships really change over time, too, as they're supposed to. Our parental relationships are developmental. What we need when we're an infant is different than what we need when we're three versus what we need when we're six versus 10 or adolescence or our 20s. So the relationship has to change. And the same thing is true of our long-term friendships and intimate partners. We change, they change. So the relationship has to keep changing and adapting to what's true of the people that are in connection now. But what holds true constantly is the relationship is that thread. It is a container. It is a holding of connection and experience. Based on my experience, I really value this richness of long-term relationships, which seem to be more and more difficult to have in our modern society. Long-term relationships show us more of who we really are as we change and as we remain the same. Short-term relationships are just a snapshot or an Instagram photo or a disappearing Snapchat snap, if you will. So couple other things to think about before I leave you today is to really start to map your relationships as well. If you could draw yourself a diagram of concentric circles in the center of the circles is the relationship with you and yourself. This is the relationship between you and you that is always constant over time. And then in the next ring, you could start to put some parts of you, like we were talking about before, the, the critic part, or the playful part, or the hardworking part, or the artistic creative part. Um, you you ha really have hundreds of parts of you, but you could start to identify that you have these different parts and look at what are the relationships between you and you. And then in the next concentric circle, you could start to look at, well, who are the people in my life closest to me? These could be friends or intimate, romantic, or sexual partners. It could be parents. It could be siblings. But who are the people that I'm the most vulnerable and the most intimate with? And then there's another ring of here's the people that I'm kind of close with. I know if I called them up and needed something, they'd be there, but I don't really stay that closely connected to them. Then there's another ring of people that maybe they're just acquaintances that you could get to know more, you'd want to get to know more. And then outside of that, there's another ring of people that just live in or work in your proximity that maybe you don't even know their name, but maybe just knowing their name and saying hi is all there is. And then outside of that is people that 
you only see once or twice a year. And outside of that, there's other people. As you can see, you can keep going with more and more concentric circles to develop your model of relationship and how connected you are to each of these people and really asking yourself the question, what's it like in the relational field between me and each of these people? And for extra credit bonus to really include in that non-human beings. So what I mean by that, that could be the land in which you live, could be specific plants, could be the earth or the soil, could be rocks, could be trees, either specific types of trees or specific trees that are where you live or work. Could be mountains or, or rivers, streams, bodies of water, could be the sky, could be birds, animals. It could be societal systems like uh, the transportation system or the government or social systems and community services. It could be your workplace. It could be the banking system. It could be whatever. But you can go on and on and on starting to map out all of the different beings, human and non-human, that you interact with and you have some sort of a relationship with and really ask yourself that question. What is it like between me and this being? What is in this relational field? Does it feel good and beneficial for me? Does it feel good and beneficial for the other person? Does it feel like it's something that's generative and nourishing? Or does it feel like something that is really toxic and draining? And if that's the case, why is that? Is that because of something that's within me causing that? Is that something within them that's causing that? Is there some way that I can shift myself to change the relational field? Or is there some conversation that we actually have to talk about and work on together? Either way you look at it, if you start studying relationships and relational fields, there's so much there. And I really do believe it's all about relationship. So to come back to what I said at the very beginning, there is no one way to do relationship. There's no right form of relationship or wrong form of relationship. There's an infinite number of types of relationships as there should be. There's parental relationships, there's intimate relationships, there's friendships that are based around getting together and grilling out every now and then. There's friendships that are based on playing sports or music or other activities together. There's business relationships, there's coworker relationships, there's supervisor-supervisee relationships, mentor-mentee relationships, and all of these relationships have different versions of mutual reward. Those rewards can be a lot of different things. Could be experiences, could be feelings, could be needs are being met, could be money is exchanged. There's a lot of different ways a relationship can look, and the purpose of this podcast is to help you be willing and able to look at your relationships directly as another separate entity or being, and as a container and thread of connection to help you see what patterns are showing up in your relationships. Are your relationships full and whole and complete and harnessing everything that can be available to you and the other beings that you're in relationship with? Or are they one-dimensional? 
maybe based on repeating old patterns. And what are those old patterns? That's part of why I stored some of my own, shared some of my own social location history, because there certainly were times that my relationships were really directly in rebellion to my upbringing. I was really focused on all my relationships needing to be close and intimate and honest and authentic. And while those are values that I still have in a lot of relationships, I recognize that not all relationships need to be that. There's a lot more space for lots of different other versions and flavors of relationship. But the connecting thread is that we are really looking at and exploring relationship and exploring what's showing up in the relationship and thought and feeling and experience and pattern and are we really able to express what needs to be expressed in that relationship or are we repeating old relational patterns in relationships that that's not appropriate in and the key to all of it is the direct intimate long-term commitment to relationship with yourself with really understanding what's going on especially what's going on beyond the surface if we're only operating in one mode like we're only thinking and communicating rationally and logically all the time we're really missing out on the feeling and vice versa if we're always being driven by our feelings we're really missing out on the rational a little bit more detached thinking function we need to include all of those experiences to make sure that we're having whole complete relationships with ourselves and with others and we can experiment with it a little bit if we're only having one type of relationship often what would it be like to have a different type of relationship? You know, if all of our relationships are, say, business relationships and transactional, then what if we got a little bit closer? And if all of our relationships are really close and emotional and intimate and vulnerable, what would it be like to actually have a little bit more distance in relationships? Play with the relational field a little bit consciously with yourself and with people that you are able to communicate about these things with so that you can experience different types of relationships because the more different types of relationships we get to experience the more we get to see and understand ourselves and each other which i believe to be a really good thing i'll probably talk more about this in the future because it's such a big topic but for now i'm going to take a break from the podcast and enjoy a relationship with my families and the outdoors over the summer and I will hopefully with any luck be able to come back and reconnect with you all again in the fall with more episodes so take care of yourselves take care of your relationships and hope to connect again soon thank you for listening to my life is the medicine we hope our guest story this week has inspired you to look closer at your own life Maybe you heard some of your own story and their story through many of these experiences are common, ordinary experiences. And maybe something about their story was unique, which also might have inspired you to think about how your life, too, is unique. Either way, we hope our story today has helped you to see that your life, too, is the medicine. If you'd like to consider diving deeper into your own story and sharing your story with others, we hope you might consider joining us on a future episode. And if not, that's okay too. We hope you'll continue listening, keep reflecting, and help you see how your life too is the medicine. Take good care, and we'll see you next time.